0: I just wanted to encourage you today. I've enjoyed doing that worship this morning, just reminding us of um, Christ and his love for us and how his death and resurrection is so important to us. And I've invited you this morning because we want to take communion together. And um, that's the same invitation to people who may be on um, Facebook this morning or you might watch it later. So get yourself some bread and some uh, wine, if you want, or uh, Ribena if you're not comfortable with the wine, that's fine. Um, Because it's a big part of uh, the Christian life, and it's a part of the Christian life that sometimes gets a little bit put to one side or misunderstood or whatever. So I want to just share you some really, really basic teaching about it, so... Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I'm going to be putting the microphone down just for a minute um, after I've read the verse to you. So you find in that, Nick? Acts 2, verse 42. So this is after the church has had the day of Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit is poured out and... 3,000 people get saved and they, almost the church really begins at this time in history, the churches we are part of today. So prior to this was the Jewish nation and Israel and that was the family of God and Paul later in his teaching tells us that we were like outcasts who were brought in to the family you know we were like it's like there was a tree and the tree was was broken so that something could be grafted into it i've never done any sort of tree planting things that's not me gardening's not me that's that's ivan but like apparently you can graft into an existing tree a branch or whatever And it begins to live from the source of the tree and gets its life from that. Well, that really is what happens to the church on the day of Pentecost that he he says, Is my family Israel? Is my family the Jews? But I want to graft in a whole new branch of people who are who were outside, but now I want to bring you in, and that's who we are. And this is when it begins. And So it says in Acts 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So the bit I want to focus on this morning is the breaking of bread. So I'm going to literally do it for you while you're watching and for everyone who's here. So here we go. Jesus took bread. Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. So I want to say a few things around that phrase, the breaking of bread. I know other people have used, and it's right that we talk about something called communion and things like that. But a few things are said around this particular phrase. So Luke 24, verse 34, and it says this, that Then they told what happened on the road, how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. So these are two guys on the road to Emmaus who were beginning to have doubts. Have you ever ever begun to have doubts? (laughs) No matter how long you've been saved or how short you've been saved, you've begun to have doubts. And they were kind of wondering what what this death of Jesus was about. And Jesus meets them on the road and he's walking with them and he's trying to explain to them what the Old Testament said about the Messiah coming. and, And they still were kind of unsure until he sat down with them and he broke bread. And it says, as he broke bread, their eyes were opened. So my first thing I want to say to us this morning is, as we are here this morning to take communion, is there an eye-opening moment for us? What has communion become about? Or is there a moment of revelation waiting for us, and we've so got bogged down in our traditions and in our way of doing this, and how little significance it means, except that we're remembering Jesus died for us, that where's the miraculous side to the breaking of bread? Is there something of revelation waiting for us even today as we take of the bread together? Is there something of Jesus that we're waiting to see? You know, we might be just like those on the road to Emmaus, that we've got some things sorted out and other things we understand and things we don't understand. But there's something waiting in the breaking of bread that's an answer to something that's on our hearts. So, I really believe communion is so much more than just, well, when I grew up, we had little pieces of bread, little squares of bread, and little cups, and often it was at the end of a service, we're going to take communion, and it was like we'd sing a song and we came out and we'd take a bread and we'd take the cup and we'd say, thank you Jesus for dying for me, and that's all very right and very traditional, and it It meant a lot. But when I read the Bible, so much more happened during those times. So we have on Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Let's let's not ask for this particular encounter with the breaking of bread. Two reasons you don't want this is that you don't want me to preach for hours, which is what happened on this occasion. And you don't want somebody to fall out of a window and die which is what happened on this occasion. It says, On the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, so this is another breaking of bread service, right? Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. Hallelujah. <laughs> I hope you've not got dinners in the oven. That would, that would be a bit rough, I'm sure. But I guess what I'm saying, even in this story, is that oh oh, oh just to continue the the verse, it says um, oh after where is it? And he continued till midnight. What's the next verse, Nick? Sorry, if you don't mind. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. We'll go on a few verses. And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him and embraced him and said, don't be troubled yourself for he's alive. (laughs) The miraculous seems to be around the breaking of bread. Is what I'm basically trying to say. And maybe even this morning around the breaking of bread, if you're doing this at home or you're doing it here with us, is there an impartation of life waiting for us as we break bread together this morning? You know, where's my energy level? Well, mine's been all over the place for years. But like, is there something in the breaking of bread that is to restore, to heal? Now, breaking of bread as a phrase was something that the Jews knew all about and it often meant fellowship. We read that in the first verse that continued in uh, the Apostles' doctrine, fellowship and breaking of bread. Often the two things. It was like having a meal together. But it was always a meal with this idea of, do you know where, you might not do this in your homes, but, but like um, we were brought up to say grace before our meals you know thank you Jesus for this food bless it to our bodies in Jesus name amen yeah or bless this bunch as they munch their lunch that's another one (laughs) but but really when they talk about fellowship and the breaking of bread often it was as they had meals they always remembered the Lord and that's, I guess, what we were doing by saying grace before meals. We're always remembering the Lord. And it wasn't really ever intended to be remembering for the nice meal we're about to have, it was always remembering for what he did for us. That was the main reason that they broke bread in their times of eating together. It was and still is meant to be that connection between us and heaven. You know, whatever whatever you do, worship's a, a fantastic connector between us and heaven. But there's something specific about the breaking of bread. Is this battery going? So could you get me another battery in there, Don, or, and I'll fling this over for now. Okay, thanks. Cool. Thank so I'm going to read uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This says, This is um, the Lord Jesus speaking to the church. And this is important because this verse has often been quoted, and I don't think it's wrong to quote it this way, but this verse has often been quoted about sinners. But actually, this verse was written to the church, to Christians. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is saying, Look, I want this breaking of bread, this fellowship, this time together, but it's for a reason. And there's a part of that verse, when we think about it, that says, I'm on the outside, I'm not always on the inside. Just because we've become Christians and we've let Jesus into our hearts doesn't mean sometimes we keep him on the outside because I think we can. I think we can sort of still feel I'm not good enough for him or, you know, whatever. He, he, if, if I get too close to Jesus, he'll he'll demand things of me that I don't want to do. And, and actually, the main thing he wants to do, and this might sound strange, is eat with us, is fellowship with us is be our friend Jesus's desire to meet with us was to share his life with us so it's very different me breaking the bread and like I have done this morning and you watch me do it but could you imagine it being Jesus himself meeting with you and breaking bread and and just like the two on the road to Emmaus you would go Oh, that is so powerful. That means so much more coming from you. And that's how he wants to meet with us, to share with us his life, his truth, and his way. I wonder where I've heard that before. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to share with us his life, his truth, and his way. Breaking of bread implies in some minds... I, I just thought of this in the week, and I thought, this is an interesting way of looking at it. Um, breaking bread, for some people, means like when something is broken. Like, you know, the kids come around playing with toys, and it's not long before they're broken, you know. And we can think of Jesus as, was something broken then? Is that what it means? But that's not what the, how it's meant, I'm sorry about this. It's a bit loose, so I'm just tightening it up. Um, it, it means like, let's break out the biscuits. Let's break out the chocolates. That's that's how this breaking of bread is supposed to be seen as. This is a releasing of, not a damaging, not it's it's causing problem. It's like no, I'm breaking, and we're to break bread together to share together. This is, this is what we all have in common. We've all got this same... You know, it doesn't matter. From the least to the oldest, from the least to the most significant in a church, this makes us all equal. There is no higher or lower or better or worse in the communion. It's like we all owe everything to what we see in this breaking of bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. And Paul now, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. In fact, he was opposed to Jesus. He was a Jew and a devout Jew, but he did not like these Christians And people who were trying to follow Jesus, he thought that was against the Jewish religion. And so he was a persecutor originally of the church. But then Jesus meets him and he becomes converted and his faith and his heart is changed. And then he has this revelation about the breaking of bread. It says this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Paul comes up with this phrase, you proclaim the Lord's death. And for me, this is why we take communion or why we break bread. Because we're making a proclamation about the death of, and resurrection of Jesus as our only source of life and power in this Christian life. It's nothing to do with our different expressions of being a Christian. One lives like this, one lives like... There are people who are evangelistic, people who are carers, people who uh, are worshippers, people who are... Preachers, people who work behind the keyboard. People, there's so many different ways of expressing it. But our source is not our expressions. Our source is not our difference in styles. You might go to one church and its they worship in one way and you go to another church, they worship in another way. None of those things, including here... None of those things are the source of your life. The source of your life is when we break the bread, we're sharing in the life that we now have. That's where it comes from. One thing in common. Without Jesus' death, sin still has dominion. Without the death of Jesus, sin still is not dealt with. Without the death of Jesus, the devil has still got authority and power. But the death of Jesus has happened. So all of those things have been... Without the death of Jesus, the wrath of God towards sin has not been satisfied. But the death of Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God. Without the death of Jesus, the law still stands... The soul that sins, it will die. The, the law still stands. But because of the death, the law was dealt with. But I'll explain that more. The sacrifice in the Old Testament. Now this is something, I always talk, talk about this, and I always think, we really don't understand this because this is not our era, not our generation. It might sound a little bit nasty to us. But the sacrifices of the Old Testament, offering a lamb without blemish, in place of a life that has got blemishes, do you know that's why they offered a lamb? You know that the idea of bringing your sacrifice in the Old Testament of a lamb that was pure was to offer it because your life was not pure. It was like a substitute. It was like in your place. And they had to do it every year. So every year they'd come and they'd, they'd find their best lamb and they'd sacrifice it to God and say, look, that's perfect. That's what I'd like you to see as me because I can't bring myself. And God would always, every year, accept that. The sin stained life presenting to God something as pure and innocent as could be in its place. Could God really accept this lamb in the place of a sinful man? Could God accept this lamb as payment for his wrongdoing and his evil heart? Do you know, on the day that Jesus died, do you know what time he died? Anybody know? Three o'clock. Thank you. It was three o'clock on the Sunday. On the the Friday. Three o'clock. Jesus died. Exactly the time when all the lambs were brought into the temple to be sacrificed. Exactly the time the lambs that for everyone's lives was being brought to be offered for their sins was when Jesus was made a sacrifice for us all. But Jesus was to become the final sacrifice, the one offering made for us to represent us all, to atone for our life, for our selfishness, for our rebellion and our pride, to bridge the gap between us and God. So breaking of bread is the reset button. But it's reset forever. It's the pressing of the reset button. It's a reminder to us as we break the bread, our life is in Christ But I love that verse because it says and to proclaim the Lord's death and I always just ask the question who are we proclaiming to because they surely heaven knows you know so we're making a proclamation to two areas two things one is to Satan we're proclaiming to the God of this world Satan the God of this world our life is not that we're good people our life is not that we have achieved something, left a mark. That's not what we're presenting to him. We, we are proclaiming to Satan and all his hosts. The power that exists within us is from the breaking of bread, from the life that Christ shared with all of us. That's our life. I don't know if I've said that correctly. Again, maybe I should just try and rephrase it. If you're watching on there and you know people who are Christians, there's none of us, none of us who are Christians that can say we have achieved anything. There's none of us that can say we are good people because we've done this, this, this. All of us have the same source of life. We're Christians... Because he gave us his life. And that's the only thing that we have. Nothing can overcome the power of sin and Satan and sickness, but the death and resurrection of Jesus. Willpower can't overcome it. Effort can't overcome it. Penance can't overcome sin. You know, when you do something wrong, I don't know if you're aware of this, Maybe I should say it now because I've got it ready to say it later. Do you know what the cross did to sin? Two things. One, it cancelled all your sins past. That's amazing in itself. If you come to the cross, if you come to Jesus and go, you died for me. You died for me. That's how (laughs) You died for me. Um... And you believe that, the moment you believe that, he has become the lamb that's perfect that was offered in your place, and you are completely forgiven for all the past sin, completely. To be honest, that's the time to die <laughs> and go to heaven. <laughs> sin has all been before him. I'm now completely forgiven from all the past. Let's get to heaven quick. But we don't go to heaven, so the cross has given us something else. It's given us a way to deal with future sins. Because if you think that once you're saved, you'll never do anything wrong now, maybe you're a bit misled. But it's the same cross, the same breaking of bread that he's left us with that we go, Oh God. I haven't got to do penance, but I have got to repent. And the same power that forgave me from all my past sins is enough powerful to forgive me again today. He's given us something as a weapon against sin. And you know what? We'll use it and we'll say, thank you, Jesus, and I'm free. Can die and go to heaven. Brilliant. (laughs) But then something else will happen and we'll fall again. All, uh, John says it in his, his uh, books, he says, if we say that we're out sin, he says, we're a liar. He says, you deceive yourself. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. It's a lifetime after this of dealing with and bringing things to the cross. Uh, can I share a testimony with you? It's a difficult testimony, but I'll try and not include people in it so that you can recognise them. But I had someone did something really, really bad to me. Oh, 20 years ago, maybe longer. I don't know. And, you know, the church talks about forgiveness a lot. You know, I've preached about it, talked about it, you know, and and forgiveness is when people wrong you, we forgive them. And that's How it's supposed to work so the religious part of me when these this person hurt me was i sat before god and said god i forgive him all proud and not you know and arrogant about it and holier than him about it i choose to forgive him i have forgiven him because i am better and i am more holy right so that's real repentance and forgiveness you could see it in my tone of voice right so I would drive past this guy's road and feel sick. If I saw him, I'd want to put a nail in his tie. Ty- no. Somebody said, Tyra, you're a lot kinder than me. <laughs> That's not where the nail was going. <laughs> and I guess what I was finding out was, oh, I haven't forgiven him enough. So I'd try again. Even I, so, this time it'd be a little bit different. To be Lord, Lord, I really I'm sorry. I am sorry, and I do forgive him. And he's a nasty, horrible piece of work. But I forgive him anyway. And he's what he did was terrible. And one day you'll strike him down dead. But I forgive him, Lord. Sorry. So it was a dip, bit deeper, you know. The, the, and and so, you know, and and what we oh man, it's so easy. We deceive ourselves. So I think I've done it. I've repented so he's sorted, you know and I went on this conference and this conference is uh, there's two, three thousand people on it and he's there and yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking and I went oh, I hate him you know that, come on I'm not, you're looking at me like you've never had these sort of issues, you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> I hate him and oh God it's not gone has it so I've repented twice I've forgiven twice and it's not gone so I remember I was actually on a three month course uh, Bible course and I got to the next lecture the next morning and the, the lecturer's speaking and I'm not hearing a word he's saying because all that's going through my mind is that what am I going to do how am I going to deal with I, uh, I hate him I don't know what to do, and people have said things like, you know, um, don't don't hold bitterness. It's like drinking the poison and expecting them to die. That's what they say about bitterness and unforgiveness. So, so after the the class, I called the, the the lecturer over and I said, could I have a word with you? And we went up into his office and I began to tell him the story of how horrible this other person was and how I'd forgiven him, and. But I was still struggling with it. And he said, I really don't know the answer. He says, but I do know one thing. He says, let's bring it to the cross. Let's see what Jesus did at the cross. And from that moment, from that moment, what is it that's at the cross? It's where he dealt with sin. And what is unforgiveness and bitterness? It's a sin. And it was when I was once again able to, you know, I am not making the answer, fixing it, using my power. It's like I'm coming to the only power that I've got. I'm breaking bread, sharing out the chocolates of forgiveness that was poured out that day. And I was healed that, from that moment on. That's just a testimony about that. So, just like Paul, anybody who's in the windows right now, it's a good job we're not three floors up. (laughs) Full trust alone in the one person of Jesus is all we've got. You see, our faith can move. I don't know if your faith moves, but our faith can be misplaced. We can put it in self. We can put it in our works, our efforts, our duty. We can put our faith in a lot of things than what it was intended from and where it originally came from. Our faith originally come from, we believe he died for us. And that's the only source of faith. And the faith of what the cross has done for us and is doing for us. I think that's what I wanted you to hear this morning. As we break bread, we're doing it because it's still doing something for us today. So breaking of bread boosts our faith. Continue breaking of bread as a source of remembrance, but a source of reconnection for your faith. And I've got, I only—I need to read this because I don't remember what I put here. But I wish those watching... watching And those who are here and those who will listen later feel the refreshing of Christ's power. Feel the healing and forgiveness of the communion. And know the power of his resurrection surging through your mind and body. Through breaking bread. The cross cancelled sin's past and gives us power to deal with sin's future. Now, we're going to do something unusual to finish. While we're still on Facebook Live, we're going to sing. And uh, it's an old hymn, and the words are, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. And this is a key, this is a key little part here. This is where the worship team should be going. Oh, he wants us to come up now. Um, and they're just sat enthralled listening at everything I'm saying get yourselves up here all right you know so (laughs) at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day as we're singing this um, we're going to be inviting people in the church who are here to come out and take communion The the bread is still in a big piece, so I love saying this, don't take a little piece, don't take a big piece because you're hungry, (laughs) right, but take a piece that's as big as you need. If you take off with half the loaf, see me afterwards, right, but, (laughs) so Yvonne, if you could, oh oh, no, I need someone else, Um, yeah, take one of these and put them on each one, and uh, yeah, as we're singing, you can come out and take some the cup and take the bread. But try to sing as well, because this is a great old hymn. So thanks for watching, and we're just going to sing this to you.